What in the world were you thinking? What in the world were you thinking? This is not a phrase that you want to hear. This is not a phrase that you want somebody that loves you and cares about you looking at you. It's not a phrase you want to hear from your boss. What in the world were you thinking? You don't want to hear that from who you're married to. You don't want to hear it from your parents. You don't want to hear this. Because there's something inside of us that says that we want to be successful. We, we don't sit, set out to make poor decisions. We don't set out to not be successful. We want to be successful. We want to make the right decisions. When it comes to Christians, the church, there's a phrase that is tossed around an awful lot, and it's, about, and it's, and it's God's will. What is God's will? One of the main questions that most people have in their life is, what is God's will for my life? And that can come in all kinds of forms. You know, is it God's will that I take this job? Is it God's will that I move here? Is it God's will if I go to this school? What is God's will for my life? And I think a lot of times what we do is we, we couch that. What is God's will with? Really, we're just trying to make a decision. We're trying to make a right decision because we don't want to make the wrong decision because we know what it's like when we make a wrong decision. What is God's will? Is God's will the same for everybody? Is there a formula to finding out what God's will is? Can God change his will? These are all viable questions that we can ask when it talks about God's will. At the end of chapter 3 in the book of Mark, we have this account in the life of Jesus where he's going to talk about family and then he's going to talk about God's will. So this morning, I want to share with us a little bit about family, and I want to share with us a little bit about God's will. Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 31, it says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are, are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mothers and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, just kind of maybe paint the picture for you, and I am in no way equating myself with Jesus. I'm just using this as an example. Jesus is there. He's teaching. He's doing the things that Jesus would do. There's a crowd that has gathered. And while he's doing that, his mother... And his brothers show up. And they let the person know that's standing at the edge to, hey, let them know that we're here. And so that person comes in and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus asked, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he goes on to say, whoever follows God's will, that is who my brothers and my sister are. And my mother is. Now, is Jesus saying that we need to do away with family? No. Is Jesus saying that family's not important? No. Family's God's idea. Family, God invented family. So he's not saying that our family doesn't matter. But he is saying something. Things are changing. 
Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins to change all kinds of things. He takes life as we knew it and starts to turn it upside down. And one of these things is that there is this, this with Christianity, and as Christianity comes into what is happening, there is this, okay, things are changing, even to the point that our family and how we view who is in our family changes. I don't know about you, but in my life, my particular story, I am far closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ than I am my own family, especially my extended family. I have cousins and uncles and aunts on my father's side that I have not seen in 30-something years. In fact, the last time I saw them was at my grandmother's funeral. That may or may not be your story. Here Jesus is talking about true kinship. Kinship meaning blood relative. But what is true kinship? I have this little set of uh, commentaries by William Barclay that I, that I use a lot because he's just very simple in the way that he explains things. And, and he talks about four common things when it comes to true kinship. The first one is this common experience. Common experience. You know what that's like when you're sitting around with a group of friends or you're sitting around with your family and you say, hey, remember when? And I hope in a couple of months we can go, hey, remember when we had to wear masks? Remember when there was this? You know, remember when that? I, I Remember when? There's a common experience. Here's something everybody who has declared and received the gospel, we all have something in common. Do you know what we have in common? We've all tasted and experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. We have that in common. We all have a testimony. Now our testimonies are different. They don't all look the same. They don't always sound the same. But we have a common experience. The second thing is, is a common interest. Well, as Christians, what's our common interest? Well, God's kingdom, God's will. That's one of the reasons we ask that question so much. What is God's will for my life? Because we have a common interest. Then we have a common obedience, we are called and designed and equipped to obey what God says to do. So we have a common obedience. You will never find a sweeter community than the community that is trying to obey Jesus together. When you find a community that is trying to obey Jesus together, there will be no sweeter community. Blood relation or not blood relation doesn't matter. There's a common experience, a common interest, and a common obedience. And then there's a common goal. It's a common goal. A common goal of the Great Commission. A common goal of making disciples. As we live our life, as we go through life, we're making disciples. Here at Anthem, we say things like uh, helping people live the truth of Jesus in everyday life. I expand that a little bit, and I say this every now and then. It's, 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 it's to help people walk with God in the fullness of God's grace and truth in community with 2 a.m. friends. This is, this is the common goal. This is the things that we're about. So there's true kinship. And as Jesus is there, and he's got that crowd around him, and his mom and his brothers show up, he asks this kind of rhetorical question, well, who's my, who's my brother? You know, who's my mom? And he looks around and says, hey, whoever obeys God's will, then this is my family. 
And so this is, this is where we get that the church is a church family and that we're a family of believers and that we've come in. This, this is where that comes from. Now, the verse that I really would like for us to focus on this morning is verse 35. In verse 35, he says, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I want to be in Jesus's family. Okay, that's my goal. So if he's saying the way to be his brother, the way to be in, in, in is to do God's will, then what is God's will? How do we know what God's will is? So I want to share with you a couple of different characteristics of God's will, of how that's laid out. The first one I, I call direct calling. There is a part of God's will that is a direct calling. Now, I like the word direct calling because it's direct and it's a calling. This is what the calling that God has placed on our lives and on life in general. The technical term, the seminary term, the theological term is God's sovereign plan. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He, he knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's happen, happening now. He knows what's going to happen in the future. And he has a plan. God is sovereign in all of those things. Direct calling, I would, and God's sovereignty or direct calling, or however you want to say it, I would, I would divide it into two things. The first one is this. There are some things that God's going to do no matter what. There are certain things that God's going to do no matter what. What? It doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you beg. It doesn't matter. God's not changing that. And we see that with Jesus when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying that God would change his will. And he is praying that God would change his plan. And where does Jesus land? Not my will, but your will be done. There are certain things that God's going to do. And it doesn't matter. In these crazy times that we're in, some of the, the rumblings that, that you can kind of hear is people saying, I wonder if this is the end times, or I wonder if this is the beginning of the end times, or I wonder if the world's ending. And I just want to let you know that if you're wondering if it's the end of the world, it's not. Okay? <laughs> it's not. When that starts, we're going to all know it. I love the way that the Baptist faith and message, it's this little pamphlet that talks about uh, what they believe. And it's got all kinds of what they believe about man, what they believe about the Bible, what they believe about salvation, what they believe about all these things. When it comes to the end of the world and last, last things, I love the way they, what they say it. It's just a sentence. God in an appropriate time and an appropriate way will bring the world to an end. That's God's sovereign plan. That's God's sovereign plan. There's certain things that God's going to do and it doesn't matter what it is. You cannot, and I, we cannot pray Jesus to come back sooner than he's coming back. Are you aware of this? You cannot pray him back sooner than the plan. You can't postpone it. It's going to be what he says it's going to be. That's the sovereignty of God. That is some, of the things, some ways to look at God's will. Now, there's a direct calling for mankind in general, and then there's a direct calling for individual people. Did Noah have a direct calling? Yes. Did Abraham have a direct calling? Yes. 
Did Joseph have a direct calling? Yes. Moses have a direct calling? Yes. David have a direct calling? Yes. John the Baptist have a direct calling? Yes. Peter have a direct calling? Yes. The Apostle Paul have a direct calling? Yes. So there's direct callings that, that God gives us as a part of his will. Some people are called to a where, some people are called to a who, and some people are called to a what. When I get together, I go to, to around other pastors. One of the, the common questions that I'll get, especially if it's, it's, it's out, of, uh, out of town, they'll, they'll find out that I helped plant a church in Las Vegas. And they'll ask, well, so, you know, how did God call you to Las Vegas? And I was like, well, God didn't call me to Las Vegas. He didn't call me to a place. Some people he does. Did he call Abraham to a place? Yeah. He told him, I'm going to lead you to the place that you're going because this is what I'm going to do. Some people are called to a place. I, I wasn't called to a place. Some people are called to a who. Seems like Silas was called to a who with Paul. Seemed like Timothy was called to a who with Paul. Seems like Barnabas was not called to a who. I've known, I've known uh, second chair people or associate pastors that have followed the lead pastor wherever he goes because that person has a calling to serve that person in the ministry that God has for them. So sometimes there's a calling to a where, sometimes there's a calling to a who, and then sometimes there's a calling to a what. And that was me. I don't have a calling to Las Vegas. I have a calling to a what. And that what is, is to help people live the truth of Jesus in everyday life in the, const in the context of a local community church that's, that's figuring out and trying to disciple people on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the what. That could be in Kentucky. That could be in Mississippi. That could be in Florida. That could be in California. Please, Jesus, don't. Don't make it California. But there could be all kinds of places, okay? It's a call to a what? Same thing for you. Maybe God's called you to a who. Maybe he's called you to a what. Maybe he's called you to a where. And when God's called you, you don't have a choice. That's the calling that he's put on your life. Look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 27. It's Peter speaking, and he says, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. This very city would be Jerusalem. For Herod, Antipas, and Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did, now just stop right there. Don't keep reading. Just look here. But everything they did, who's the they? He just listed off the they. All of these people, what did they do? They took Jesus to the cross. They they came up with the trumped up charges against him. They convicted him. They took him to the cross. They had him crucified. So everything that these people did and what they did, let's look, look what it says. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now you got to stay with me. If you're dozing off, slap your face. I know those masks are warm. If you only listen to part of this, you're going to get in trouble. And you won't get me in trouble. This sometimes includes sinful behavior. Sometimes, 
the way that God chooses to fulfill his will is through sinful behavior. Was it God's will for Jesus to go to the cross? Absolutely. Did sinful behavior take him there? Yes. He even says that from the cross, right? What does he say? One of his prayers to God is, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes this includes sinful behavior. Sometimes it includes suffering. Sometimes God's will for your life is suffering. And I know that's hard. That's really hard for some people to get their minds around. Some people can follow Jesus as long as everything is great. But the moment suffering enters the picture, they're out. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 7. I used it a couple of weeks ago, or uh, 17, 317. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants. See, sometimes what God wants is for you to suffer. Sometimes what he wants is for me to suffer because he knows if I don't suffer, I'm not going to get it. Because when everything is great, guess what? Everything is great. It's very hard to pray. Deep, impactful, meaningful prayers when you're not hurting. And God knows that. Sometimes he uses suffering. Sometimes he uses sin in the world to accomplish his will. But here's something that I think he does the most. Is he gives us what we want. So you don't want to worship me in spirit and truth. Okay. So you don't want to have an ongoing conversation with me. Okay. So you don't want me to be a part of your everyday life. Okay. So you don't want to give me your sexuality. Okay. And he just starts stepping away. Because it's what we wanted. And then he says, look around. When you tell me to leave, chaos happens. God uses suffering. He uses sin sometimes. Sometimes he just gives us what we want. When we don't want him around. When what we want is more important than what he wants. 
He says, all right. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 kind of a summary verse it says furthermore because we are united with Christ we have received an inheritance from God for he he chose he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan he makes what work out everything according to what he's got a plan you got a plan (laughs) sometimes I got a plan (laughs) most of the times I don't he's got a plan Summary statement, in certain things, the will of God is always fulfilled. In certain things, the will of God is always fulfilled. And then there's the second part of God's will. If that's the, if that's the direct calling or the, the sovereignty of God, the second one I call a thousands, I call thousands of trees. Thousands of trees. And here's, here's where I got thousands of trees. I was, I was spending some time and I was praying and I was seeking God about something. I honestly can't even remember what it was this particular time that I was doing. But what I was doing is I, I wanted an answer. I wanted the decision. I, I didn't want to make the dead, bad decision. I didn't want people to look at me and go say, what in the world were you thinking? That's not what I wanted. So I wanted to have that. So one of my major prayers that I pray uh, a lot is God, give me clarity. I want clarity. If you please give me some clarity. If you'd send me an email, that would be great. Give me the clarity that I need to know what it is that I'm supposed to do. What is it that you want me to do? And like I said, I don't remember exactly what it was that I was praying for, but what I, the, 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 the picture that I got in my spirit from Jesus was his, 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 his arms out like this and the way that I visioned Jesus and him saying, Marty, there's a thousands of trees. There are thousands of trees. What do you want? What, what does the, what's the desire of your heart? There's thousands of trees. And when I got that picture, it's like, yes, in the garden, there were thousands of trees. And you could have a peach or an apple or a banana or pineapple or blueberries or raspberries or cherries. Oh, I love summertime. That Lanier or Rainer, what, Rainer cherries? Is that what that is? Don't know what they are. The cherries that are not red, they're kind of yellow. Oh my goodness. Don't look at the price. They'll scare you, but man, they are good. You get, there's thousands of trees. There's thousands of trees to choose from. You just choose. When I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a long time. One of the biggest questions when you deal with young people is this question, what's God's will for my life? You know, what's, who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to school? And where am I supposed to go to school is a big one. Where am I supposed to go to school? What university am I supposed to go to? And I, this is what I used to do with those kids. I would sit down with them and we would, we'd have this conversation. And I said, well, well um, and they want to know, does, you know, what school does God want me to go to? And I, I would say, I don't think he really cares what school you go to. Uh, you need to make a wise choice. If if Louisiana Tech's giving you a full full ride and Auburn's going to cost your dad thirty thousand dollars a year, go to Louisiana Tech. That's the wise thing to do. But I don't think God really cares which way. Because which where do you want to go to school? Which one feels right? Which one fits? Who who what's your, what's the desire of your heart? Psalms thirty seven four. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Now, I love that last part. He will give me my heart's desire. 
I struggle with that take delight in the Lord part. They delight in the Lord and he will give you the heart's desire. So I'd say, well, what's the wise thing to do here? What's the desire of your heart to do? And then I would always tell him this. I would say, listen, guys, listen, I don't think he cares if you go to Louisiana Tech or you go to Auburn. He wants to know what kind of person you're going to be when you get there. He wants to know what are you going to do while you're there? You're going to honor me? You're going to glorify my name? You're going to live for yourself. That's what he cares about. So I call it thousands of trees. Uh, The more technical term, the more seminary term for this would be the will of command. There are some things that God has commanded us to do, and it is his will. It is his will that we love one another. It is his will that we take care of each other. It is his will that we're not gossips. It's his will that we don't hold grudges. It's his will that we will forgive. It's his his will that we worship him in spirit and truth. It's his will that we'll treat others the way we want to be treated. I mean, this is his will. Now, when that will, we have a choice. That's why it's called the will of command. It's a thousand trees. I can eat from all of these trees. Or I can go sit under the one tree I'm not supposed to eat from. And that's what Adam and Eve did. We can obey or disobey this will. We can obey or disobey this will. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says God's will. Right there, God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful when there's COVID-19. Be thankful when you have to wear a mask in public. Be thankful when the country is in turmoil. Be thankful when the test result comes back negative. Be thankful when it's the news you don't want to hear. Be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will. For you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if I've declared and received the gospel, his will for me is for me to be thankful in every circumstance. So there's the will of God. There's his sovereign will of God, his direct calling that it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. And then there's his will of command where there's all kinds of things. See, his will is for you not to be a gossip. His will for Marty is that I wouldn't be jealous His will for us is that we would live in a way that honors Him. That's His will for us. I, I get a choice in that one. 
just like he put Adam and Eve in a garden with thousands of trees. But there was that one. See, when I think about every time that I'm not thankful, that that puts me out of God's will, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Because do you know how many times I'm not thankful in all circumstances? Can I tell y'all, can I share with y'all how often I am not thankful in all circumstances? Try every single day. Do you know that I am fully capable of keeping a grudge? I'm fully capable of being jealous. But there is good news. And you know what the good news is? Jesus has never, ever been out of the will of God. Never. Not once. Not when he was 100% man, not now. He's never, Jesus doesn't know what it's, what it's like to not be 100% in God's will. Why is this good news? Because his offer is for me to be in him. His offer is he does the work for me. So when I stand before the father, he sees me in his perfect will. Because I am in Christ. So my eternity is set. My eternity is secure. But there's this little problem called the here and the now. And the here and the now, I've got a choice to make. And God lets me make it. The only time he backs away is when I tell him to back away. The only time, because I'm in Christ, the only time I'm not in his perfect will is because I have chosen not to be. What great news to know that I can always be in the will of God because Jesus is in the will of God. What great news to say, hey, I don't have to wonder what being God's will is. He tells me over and over in the scripture, he tells me, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, do this and it will go well with you. Do this, it will not go well with you. It's up to you. Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you have always been in the Father's will. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you can look at us and you can say, 
These are my brothers and my sisters because they are in my Father's will. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for defeating death and giving us your resurrected life and the promise to be filled with your spirit. Not sometimes, but every day, all day. And Father, in those times when we're tempted to get out of your will, at those times when we're not willing to accept your will, we don't want any part of your suffering. We don't want any part of you using our story for your glory. Father, help us to see that you don't make mistakes. And never, ever do we ever have to look at you and say, what in the world were you thinking? But because we've come to the place where we've laid down before you and we've accepted that you're God and we are not. So Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. And help us to live in the truth that is you as we continue to seek to do your will. In your name we pray. Amen.